Welcome to Pushing Up Lilies. I'm your host, Julie Matson. Pushing Up Lilies is a weekly true crime podcast with spine-tingling, unusual, and terrifyingly true stories from my perspective as a forensic death investigator and a sexual assault nurse examiner. Do I have some stories for you? Are you ready? Hey guys, my subject this week is going to be domestic violence. Of course, it can be bad at any time of year, but it seems to spike a little bit during the holidays. Of course, it did spike during the pandemic. I know that you, like me, heard of several divorces that took place after the pandemic, couples working remotely and realized that they really couldn't tolerate each other like they thought they could. and ended up divorced. But especially during the holidays, because of all the stressors and sometimes, but not always, the increased use of alcohol, finances, being stuck in the house together, those types of things. We all know that we spend a ton of money over the holidays, and I am completely guilty because I can't help but spoil my sweet grandbaby, and it's so hard for me to walk into a store without walking out with something for her. And my daughter will send me texts when I send her pictures of something cute. Her words are no, we don't have room for it, but I just can't help it. It's just hard not to spoil them. So that's a few reasons why domestic violence seems to spike during this time of year. And it is presume that about 15,000 kids are exposed to domestic abuse when they're out of school during the holidays. We kind of knew that COVID was going to cause an increased risk of domestic violence. Many times during the holidays, partners will use this time of year to just exercise their power and control. Again, sometimes mental health issues come into play. The alcohol, the increased stress, and they use all of those to excuse how they act and many times will blame the victims for the abuse, making them feel like it's their fault. COVID restricted access to a lot of support opportunities. So a lot of offices were closed and we just didn't have the access to help that we had before. When the schools reopened, there were a lot of new referrals to Child Protective Services, and they were already underfunded. And so it was really hard to take care of the backlog and hard to take care of all the new cases that were coming in because all these children were speaking about what happened when they were home during the holidays. And I know that many mothers or fathers, again, domestic violence is not gender specific after the abuse, the separation can really cause an increase of threats and intimidation. It seems scarier to many people to leave than it does to stay. They kind of know how to kind of keep things at bay when they're at home with the person who is abusing them, but they don't know what's going to happen if they leave. They don't know if they're going to be stalked, followed, harassed. Many times people will follow others to the workplace. I had a friend years ago whose husband 
always came to check on her at work because he thought that she was cheating on him with someone in the office. And that wasn't the case at all. But she did have to have daily contact with men. And for some reason, he felt threatened by that. And so he would literally come and check on her every day. And he always made it look like he was doing her a favor. He would bring her coffee or something to eat. We all knew what it was all about because, of course, she told us that he basically tormented her when she was at home about the office and being at work and feeling uncomfortable with her being around other men. Once a separation takes place, many times the arguing continues because you do have to continue to stay in contact with that person if you have children together. Now, a lot of people feel like domestic violence is only hitting And that's very far from the truth. There is a lot of intimidation that goes on in a lot of these situations. And a big part of that is the way you're treated and not exactly being physically abused. So if someone tells you that you never do anything right and makes you feel inferior to them, that is a form of abuse. Also, Like my friend, if they show extreme jealousy of your coworkers or your friends or the time spent away from them, that is also a form of abuse. Preventing or discouraging you from spending time with your family or friends is also a form of abuse. Now, I know that I'm lucky enough now that my husband encourages me to spend time with my friends, probably so he can watch football. But nonetheless, he does not mind me going out with my friends. He trusts me. He knows I'm not going to do anything that I shouldn't do. That's how it should be. But if someone is insulting or demeaning or shames you, especially in front of other people, but it doesn't have to be in front of anybody, that is abusive. No one should ever make you feel bad about yourself, ever. Trying to prevent you from making decisions about school or work or just trying to keep you from being you. I know that a lot of people that eventually end up divorced say that they lose who they are. And that's because not always, but many times their partner just does not allow them to be themselves. Somebody that controls finances, hides the checkbook, locks the checkbook up, has complete control over your paycheck. It goes in a joint account and you don't have access to it. That is very controlling, taking your money, refusing to provide money to you for necessary expenses, limiting the amount of money that you get for something that you need because they have complete access to it. Also, pressuring you to have sex or perform sexual acts that you're not comfortable with. Many people think that you can't be raped if you're married, that you can't be raped by your partner. That's not true. You still have the right to say no. You still have the right not to participate in activities that they want you to if you're not comfortable. I have done sexual assault exams on many women who were raped by their husband who said no and were still raped. Just because you're married or dating someone does not 
give them the right or obligate you to have sex when you don't want to. Someone that pressures you to use drugs or alcohol. I've had a lot of friends in high school who felt like they were so in love with this person, which, you know, we didn't even know what love was back then, but they were pressured into using drugs and alcohol. If they intimidate you through threatening looks or actions, I mean, I don't know how many of you have been at a party with someone who treats you like this, but kind of glaring at you from across the room or trying to keep you from saying what you want to say. I know that even in abused children in the past, you know, I've seen them look at their parents before they start speaking when they're asked a question because they're afraid they're going to get in trouble later for what their answer was going to be. Sometimes you can tell body language tells you a lot. Insulting your parenting. That's a huge one. If somebody is constantly telling you that you're not a good parent or that you don't do things correctly regarding your children, that is basically assault in some form or fashion. I mean, it's just not right for anyone to make you feel like you're less of a person or for anyone to make you feel bad about doing the best you can do when it comes to raising your kids. Intimidating you with weapons, any kind of weapon. No one should point anything at you and make you do anything specific because of that. And then a lot of people like to destroy other people's belongings, throw things away that they know mean a lot to them, or sell things that they know mean a lot to them. So there are a lot of other forms of abuse than just physical. So just wanted to get that across. Single moms, a lot of times, it's hard to share them during the holidays. And I can speak firsthand about that because I was married twice before. And my first husband and I were married for only a short time. And then my second husband and I were married for 10 years. I had a child with each of them. And it was difficult during the holidays because I always wanted them to spend time with their dads and their grandparents on the other side. And it's difficult. It's hard to let them spend time with other people. But I was not selfish in that way. I feel like I did a good job of quote unquote sharing them. But it is difficult. There's a form of competition when it comes to getting gifts. I mean, I'm 100% guilty of overbuying Christmas because I had this fear that my kids were going to one day when they were coerced with a huge toy or a puppy, that they were going to decide they didn't want to live with me anymore. They want to go be with dad because he gave them a dog or the TV at his house is bigger. And so even though it's really sad and it may not be anything that they actually did to make you feel that way, but you just feel this ongoing competition and fear. And that's just the gist of it. I know that I have been in my share of abusive relationships. And many of us, when we're dating in high school, don't really know what a relationship is supposed to be like. I know that my dad was not abusive to my mom nor was she to him. And so it shouldn't have ever been okay to me to be treated in any way other than with respect. Boyfriends, you know, cheating on me, boyfriends 
locking themselves in closets with weapons, threatening to kill themselves, pushing, shoving, hitting, kicking, aggression towards my parents from previous relationships due to anger, me spending too much time with them. Again, that controlling factor that keeps you from being around friends or family members or peers. And many times the reason for that is because they are afraid that you might tell someone what's going on and that they might actually try to talk you into leaving. Jealousy, jealousy is a big thing. Threatening to hurt you. Stalking, you know, I had someone at one time stalking me, following me to my daughter's football games, ex-boyfriends hiding in the bushes. And when I get back from a date, running towards me and trying to attack me on my way into the house, you know, throwing things at my dad when he came to the door and heard noises and didn't know what to do. There's a lot. There's and also emotional cheating. And that is when someone becomes close to another person who is not their partner. And that can be someone they work with or someone they're chatting with on the internet. That is a thing too. If someone is emotionally involved with someone, they may be across the world. They may not have ever met them, but if they have an emotional relationship with them, that is a form of abuse. Now, since it's close to Christmas, I want to talk a little bit about Bruce Pardo, and I in no way want to make him any kind of a hero because he is completely of the opposite of that. But on Christmas Eve of 08, after he and his wife, about a week after he and his wife's divorce became final, he went to his ex-in-law's house dressed like Santa Claus, and he had a couple of different packages. And the packages were wrapped, and so he pulled up to his ex-in-law's house it was around 11.30 at night on Christmas Eve. He knocked on the door and he had on his little Santa Claus suit and he had a gift-wrapped package or actually two of them. One was an air compressor that had been converted to deliver gasoline. And then in another wrapped package, he had four 9mm semi-automatic handguns. So there were a total of 25 people at his ex-in-law's house celebrating the holidays. So he pulled out the guns and then shot his eight-year-old niece in the face as she ran towards him because she was excited that Santa was at the door. I don't even know how you could do that, how you could be dressed as Santa and have an unexcited eight-year-old coming to see you and then shoot him in the face. But anyway, he did it. Then he just started opening fire. So after all the shootings, he actually unwrapped the air compressor and then he sprayed gasoline in the home. There was a total of nine killed and three wounded. Much of the identification had to be done by dental records and medical records. Now, I know that we do a lot of identifications that way. Sadly, there are a lot of people who are estranged from their families and don't have ID, and it's difficult to figure out exactly who they are. And so what we do in those cases is try to find family of who we think they are and then try to figure out what doctors or dentists they may have been to in the past. And then we request those records, and of course, we may have an odontologist to actually match up the dental records 
sometimes we will find out that someone has had a previous surgery, like a knee replacement or breast implants, and all of those things actually have serial numbers on them. If we can find just radiology reports from x-rays that were done at the time of their surgeries, we can actually positively identify someone that way. But we at our office, if someone's decomposed and we can't look at their identification and look at them and say 100% without a doubt, it is the same person, then we bring them in for identification. I know that y'all probably remember hearing years ago, I think it was in Texas where two girls were involved in a car accident and one was hospitalized and one was killed and they got them mixed up because they didn't identify the deceased one and thought that they were each other. So of course, that would be horrible. We do everything we can to make sure. And that is even if you're calling the person and they're not answering the phone for a week, We know it's probably them, right? But we're not going to assume because what if it's not? So we will do fingerprints. And if we can't get fingerprints in a case where they're severely decomposed or burned, then we do the dental and medical record searches and try to match them up that way. But Pardo put his street clothes back on and drove 30 miles to his brother's house. He'd even gone as far as to book a flight. They think to throw off investigators, not 100% sure, but part, I found this kind of funny and I'm sorry, it's the death investigator in me and many of you might too, but part of his Santa suit had actually burned to his skin and so he had third degree burns on his arms and wasn't able to remove the whole suit, but he did take it off and put it in the car. He had $17,000 cash cling wrapped around his leg inside a girdle. I'm not 100% sure what the purpose of that was. I guess he would, I don't know why he didn't leave it in his car. But anyway, his car was found about a block from his brother's house and it had the Santa suit in it, four handguns, and then about 200 rounds of ammunition. But what he had done is he committed suicide at his brother's house, but he just parked like a block away. There's speculation that the motive behind all this was related to marital problems. Many things that I saw about the case actually indicated that his wife Sylvia was upset because she had just found out that he had a child from a previous relationship who was injured in a pool accident. He didn't pay any child support for that child, no spousal support of any kind to the child's mother. Hadn't seen him in years, but he was still claiming him as a dependent on his taxes. Anyway, it was in 01, and the toddler, who was just barely, or I think a little over one year old, actually fell into the swimming pool. Pardo was alone with him at the time, so when the mom came in, he was holding his child who had been injured, so he had a brain injury and is actually wheelchair-bound at this time, and Pardo did not help raise him or take care of him, either financially or in person, ever, and so... Speculation is that Sylvia, his wife, wanted to divorce him shortly after she found out about that because she just couldn't wrap her head around a father not caring for his child. So this incident, this incident of all the shootings and the house fire happened about a week after the divorce was final. Sylvia, the ex-wife, one of her sisters 
and her husband and the eight-year-old who was injured all escaped. All victims in the house had either succumbed to the gunshot wound or the house fire because he did eventually burn the house down after he shot everyone. So he basically wanted to kill his ex-wife and everything that she loved. Now, three of the victims actually died by gunshot wound alone. Four died of a combination of being shot and also the fire after he lit the house on fire following the shootings. And two actually died from the fire alone. So there was a total of nine deaths and three people injured. And this was on Christmas Eve. Police actually sent a bomb squad out to the car because of the large amount of ammunition in it. and the robot accidentally ignited the vehicle and so destroyed the car. So all the evidence, I mean, I don't know if they'd gotten everything out of it or not, but all the evidence that was left in there was basically destroyed. He had what they called a virtual bomb factory at his house. But prior to this, he had no criminal record, no history of violence per se, although he did refuse to open a joint account with Sylvia and then expected her to use all of her money to care for the children. He really didn't give her any assistance when it comes to that. But his shooting and house fire incident actually left 13 children orphaned. He had been fired from work, and because of that, the court actually stopped his spousal support payments, which were about a little over 1700 a month. So. I found the need to use that Christmas story not to make him heroic in any way, but to bring to light the fact that domestic violence happens a lot during the holidays as well as any time of year. I just wanted to remind everyone that there is help and that you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline. They're available 24-7. Their number is 800-799-7233. Also, stay tuned for the question for this episode so that you can win some cool prizes. Thank you so much for joining me today on Pushing Up Lilies. If you like this podcast and would like to share with others, please do me a quick favor and leave a review on Apple Podcast. This helps to make the podcast more visible to the public. Thanks again for spending your time with me and be sure to visit me at pushinguplilies.com for merchandise and past episodes.